If you would, stand to your feet with me one last time. We're going to go to the Word of the Lord together. We're going to be in a two-week series on a very important subject, and that is forgiveness. Now, this is going to make everybody uncomfortable because forgiveness is a hard thing. But God commands us to forgive, and I believe that's a very important thing for us to do. In Matthew 18, we're going to be reading verses 21 all the way to verse 20, 35. Very familiar parable of the unforgiving slave. The Bible says this to us, starting in verse 21. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that, he, that his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. And after he had summoned them, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy, Lord. That, God, that we can open your word and be challenged, Lord. And, God, even with hard truths, God, you meet us with grace. And, Father, I pray that you would use this time to challenge us, to change us, to form us and shape us into the image of Christ. And Lord, that if there's anyone we need to forgive, God, we would make it right today. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right. Is it working now? Oh, no. It's not working now? Let me try one more time. Let's see. Hold on. Test, 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 one, two. Test, one, two. There we go. All right, cool. You know, I did an internet search the other day and searching for just top 10 lists. In fact, there's a website where you can find the top 10 list of all sorts of things. In fact, there was a top 10 caffeine, top, top 10 times caffeine kill people. There was a top 10 disgusting facts about roaches. There was a top 10 best food debates. But if we had to make a top 10 list for our lives, of things that are difficult in our lives, I'm sure forgiveness will be on the top of those lists. Forgiveness is a hard thing. 
It's a hard thing not only to experience, but it's a hard thing to lend out as well. Forgiveness is something we all should do, but it's, it's hard. And maybe you've even uttered these words, I can't forgive you. I'll never forgive that person. One person said it this way, unforgiveness is like a prison that is self-patrolled, has a hard warden who himself is a prisoner by their own demise. And that same warden holds the keys to their freedom, which is forgiveness. The Bible tells us this, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiven iniquity, rebellion, and sin. It goes on to tell us in Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. In Mark 11.25, the word of God says, says, and whenever you stand praying, If you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Forgiveness is indeed an attribute of God. It's one of his essential qualities. It's it's an attribute that he has. And to know the God of Scripture is to know a God who is forgiving. So to forgive is to be like God. To not forgive is to be essentially anti-God or anti-Christ. It is the opposite of him. And so Jesus gives us the prescription, the remedy of what forgiveness should look like amongst brothers and sisters. The first thing we see here in verses 21 and 22 is the great question. How often should we forgive? How often should we forgive? Jesus cares about all of his children. Those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, they've repented of their sin, they begin to follow him as a disciple, they're now his children. They belong to him. They are in the family of God. And yet so often we act just like children. We fight, we complain, we bicker, yet God in his gracious mercy still calls us his own. Why? Because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. The moment you place your faith and trust in him, you are in his kingdom. Yet while we're part of his family, we're still being sanctified. What that simply means in very practical theological terms is that God is still shaping and forming you into the image and likeness of Christ. While you're on the journey, on the narrow path, he is working on you. So we are already, we're called saints of God. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We are sanctified in him, but yet we're not there fully yet. What does this mean very succinctly? Folks will still get on your nerves. They'll do crazy stuff to you. They will offend you and have attitudes and talk about you. Folks that are in the body of Christ. This is the reality because Jesus says this. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Notice Jesus says, if your brother, not, oh, I don't know if it's going to happen. Maybe it might happen. No, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him. Essentially what that means is that you go with them with the facts 
A rebuke is not a bad thing. A rebuke is simply saying, I'm going with clear, succinct facts of what you've done to wrong me or you've done to sin, and I'm presenting those to you very clearly. And if they listen to you, you've won your brother. Remember, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. So Jesus is making it clearly evident that this type of thing will happen. He gives us the prescription. He gives us the remedy for when it does happen. This is how you are to engage in it. Things happen between brothers and sisters. You're going to get offended and sinned against. So he gives us the prescription. Go to that person with the facts of how they sin, with clarity, seeking to expose the truth. You're not going to clap back at the person. You're not going to kind of like get in their face. You're not going to set them straight. No, Jesus doesn't do that to you. You're going with a heart of humility and a heart of graciousness to your brother or sister in Christ and saying, this is how you sinned against me. Then if they don't listen, Matthew 18 tells us, then you go with someone else with the same facts if that person doesn't repent, Jesus isolates us from abuse as well. Spiritual abuse or any type of abuse between brothers and sisters in Christ is condemned by Christ. How do we know Jesus protects us and isolates us from abuse? He says it right here. You go to them with the facts. That means if they continually, continually do what they're doing and they're not changing, you bring someone else so that they can bear witness to the facts of how they're sinning against you. So you go. And then if they still don't repent, you bring it to the entire church. You bring it to the church and you explain to the entire church of how this person has sinned. This is a long process that is supposed to happen. And this process is supposed to reconcile brothers and sisters to one another. Jesus said, if you do, you've won your brother. You've won your brother or sister. But then he goes on to say, if this person refuses to repent, even after they go to the church, then whatever the church decides, whatever they bind here will be bound in heaven. That's what binding and loosening means. It's not some spiritual ethereal experience where you're binding the devil. No, you're saying whatever the church remedies here will be now effective in heaven as well. And it says then treat that person like a tax collector. Treat him like a sinner. What do we do to them? They're not in the family. But what are we trying to get them to do? Be in the family. So we show them grace, love, mercy to win them back as a brother or sister. So, Peter, hearing all this, asks the question. It is a good question. Peter hears this, and he says this to Jesus. He says, look, if your brother sins against you, he says, look, then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? How many times? And then he goes on to say, as many as seven times? Now, remember, we read the Bible in context. You can't isolate it. You have to read it in context. The historical context helps us understand what the author was saying then and then how it applies to us now. The historical context is who is Jesus talking to? Peter. What is Peter? A Jew. 
What Jews believed and the rabbis taught, the most times you can forgive one person is three times. Now, some of us would love that. Some of us write folks off after the first offense. Oh, uh uh-uh, no, uh uh-uh, no, you dumb. But look at Peter. Peter says, Lord, should I forgive them up to seven times? You you see, guys, uh, up to seven times? Mm Mm-hmm. You see this, James and John, right? Seven times. I know Jesus is about to be like, boy, Peter, you got it. Seven times. But look how Jesus does it. I love how Jesus just lovingly brings the truth to him and reveals this graceful truth. I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven, even in a day. Oh, uh uh-uh, no, I'm not forgiving my husband who's a Christian that many times. I told him to take out the trash one time and he don't listen. We could imagine a look on Peter's face. And what about the other disciples? Even in our sanctified imaginations, we can see how they're wondering, what is this crazy idea of endless forgiveness for a person who repents? Could you imagine if God kept track? And he does know because he's sovereign, he does. But the Bible says he casts it into the sea of forgetfulness, doesn't bring it back up again. Could you imagine if God kept track of what you did this morning? Oh, Lord, I got to go up there to that church again, Lord. I don't even like sister so-and-so. Lord, just get on my nerves. Just ungratefulness, bitterness, rudeness. Seven... The times seven. Isn't this how we bring our own presuppositions to the word of God? We bring our own presuppositions to the Lord and we say, oh, Lord, I know better. I know. And the Lord says, oh, you think you know. But the word of God is our authority that we submit under. And he tells us what we should be doing. I tell you, not as many seven, but 70 times seven. First Corinthians 13, 5 says this love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Here's a thought. Notice how Peter frames the question, though. Lord, how many times shall I forgive when I'm sinned against? He doesn't say, Lord, what about the times I offend folk? What about the times I mess up? What about the times I actually put my foot in my mouth? Peter's not worrying about himself. He's worrying about what others are going to do to them. Because why? This is how our default mechanism operates. Selfishness. He doesn't say, Lord, what what about when I sin? See, we often can see the, the very speck in our brother and sister's eye. But the law we always seem to forget about. Matthew 7, 3 says this. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Many people have a low emotional IQ. Let me say what this means. If everybody around you, I mean, just, let me just say this very pastorally and lovely. If everybody around you keeps saying you're mean and rude, not just one person. Not just two. I'm talking about everybody who encounters you constantly says, man, you just got a nasty attitude. 
Chances are. <laughs> but then every time you say it, you be like, oh, that's not how I am. Your emotional IQ is just low. You're not viewing yourself rightly. That's why you need someone else in your life. First of all, the word of God is a mirror. But when you're in a discipleship relationship, someone else in your life speaking into your life and saying, man, you know what? I see this area. Man, you need to get that together. Lovingly rebuking. We need to see what God sees about us and says about us. Because we have to notice the beam of wood in our eyes. Then we see this. Jesus lays out the parameters. 70 times 7. This idea of unlimited forgiveness. And then he says, for this reason. He goes into a parable. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He goes into this parable about the God of extravagant forgiveness. So he tells this parable, and there are a couple of different characters of the king. There's a servant who is in debt, and there's another servant. And the king calls into account one of his servants who owes him an immense amount of money. He calls this man in and says, look, you have to pay what is owed. Now, what did he owe? He owed 10,000 talents. One commentator remarked that it would take a person over 20 years to make even one talent. This man owed 10,000. Now, put it in perspective what Jesus is saying. It would have been impossible. You see what Jesus is setting up here? He owed 10,000 talents. It takes one, it takes a person 20 years to make one. So in today's economy, he owed 20 of millions of dollars. Take the debt you have. I know some of them don't like to think about it, but take the debt you have. Imagine if your creditors called you up today and said, all of it is due today. Oh, Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do. Don't call the church because we can't help with that. <laughs> we can pray and, and pray for you, but that's about it. <laughs> this was his situation. This is the problem that he was facing. Now, to make matters worse, if this man couldn't pay, He's, it was his entire family was being sold into debtor's prison to pay back what he owed. Matthew 18, 26, at this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. He's begging. Notice he asks for patience, understanding, all these things. And now he's even lying. You know, you can't pay it back. You know, you can never pay it back. But what does he do? He asks for understanding. Look at the master's response. The master was benevolent and kind. This is our Lord. This is our God. He shows mercy and grace to thousands of generations. The Bible says how the Lord shows compassion on this man. The, the master showed compassion on him. He fell down. He said, be patient with me. Verse 27, then the master of that servant had compassion and released him and forgave him the loan. Notice this is grace in action. This is what grace looks like. He receives what he didn't deserve at the expense of who? The master. Who is at a loss in this situation? The master. The master is the one who's losing out. We can only sing of amazing grace when we've experienced it ourselves. With this man, this is truly 
You see his response here, and the Bible doesn't tell us how he responded. But we can see there's no repentance. There's no sorrow for his actions of owing and not paying. There's only excitement of being free. Oh, man, I'm free and I'm excited about it. This is a surface level encounter with God. This is where many people are. Many people want the extravagant grace of God, but they refuse to really truly repent before God. So they love the idea of this God who loves and is merciful, but yet they truly don't want to change. This master said, you're free. Go. Romans 5, 8 says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now we see the heart of this man because it's a heart of unforgiveness. Look at verse 28. This is how you know somebody has really has not been changed. 28 says, the man fell down. He was forgiven alone. Then 28, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and started choking him and said, pay what you owe. Almost like a, a gangster movie. Dark alley. God's got the pimp hat on. Man, I'm about to shank you if you don't give me my money. What about in the church? We act the same way. Except there's no pink pimp hat. It's a Bible in nice clothes. Oh, you, you, you don't want to listen to my idea or you want to take away my seat? All right, I'm going to show you. What happens here is this man, instead of celebrating and showing the same compassion to every person he met, he finds one who owes him. The Bible tells us many have a form of godliness, but deny the very power that can truly save them. This man who, have who should have shown fruit in his life as one who was born again, who encountered the amazing grace of the master, does the complete opposite. Notice he goes out and he does what? Call for what is due to him. Notice this is his initialing. He's thought this through. And he's thinking, I'm going to collect what's due to me. And he finds someone who owes him, in comparison, pennies. Pennies. Yet he was forgiven upon millions upon millions. Notice the master, even when he owed, didn't deal with him in this way. When he called for him to give an account, the master didn't even... Give him by the, the shirt and shake him up. And look at the person's response in verse 29. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that the same thing he asked for? This exact same words. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. The Bible says this in Matthew 7, 17 through 20. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. That's all we got to look at. What is your level of tolerance and forgiveness of others? 
Is it very low? If it is very low, chances are either A, you're remiss on the extravagant mercy and grace of God that has shown you, shown you, or you've not experienced his mercy and grace at all. He had an amazing opportunity to turn the corner and say to this man, man, you know what? Golly, bro. I just forgot, man. I forgot how much I was forgiven. You know what? You're good, man. All debts are settled, man. Go, go, man, go your way, man. Be blessed, man. Be blessed and highly favored, man, because I'm set free. And so guess what? I'm setting you free as well. But no, this is not his response. Jesus' words ring true here. He, Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. This man was not willing at all. Forgiveness is a choice, but it's also a command. For the Christian, we must choose to obey the command of Christ to forgive. This man did not do what was done for him. What did he say? He said, but he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what he was owed. Isn't it interesting? We're fast and quick to throw other people into prison, but we never throw our own selves. Boy, we'll throw people into prison so easy. Somebody could just offend you one time in the church and you'd be like, I'm done. Then I love this statement. The whole church hurt me. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You mean one person hurt you? And you didn't get right with that one person. Therefore, you just pushed it off on everybody else. If Matthew 18 was happening more in churches, you have less people leaving. But Matthew 18 doesn't happen. Why? Who wants to go to somebody and talk about any of this? We'd much rather just sweep it under the rug. Chances are maybe that person doesn't even know that you're offended. Maybe they said something that was, maybe they said it and they were just foot and mouth disease. You know, I would say this even as a pastor, if I've offended you. Now, let me, let me preface this. Not if the scriptures has offended you. If I've personally offended you. Hey, I repent. I'm the first one to say I'm not perfect don't have it together. Trust me. The number one prayer I pray every morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, even Sunday. Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. I need your help. <laughs> if I've offended you, I repent. Come tell me, pastor, you know what? You really, you really, man, you hurt my feelings. Look, I'm sorry. I repent. Forgive me. In fact, if we need to make it right, let's make it right after service. I'll be standing right up here after baptism. We can make it right. Whatever I've done. But what about you yourself? Have you put people in prison and thinking you've locked them away? But the truth is you've locked your own self away. You're walking around with bitterness, unforgiveness, all these things, and you're looking for God to be a blessing in your life, and yet you're hindering the blessing of God. So these servants went and told the master... Was that right to do? Yes. This is a horrible act this man was committing. He could have set someone free, but he didn't extend it at all. And so we see a repayment for unforgiveness. Look, at the Bible goes on to say, then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you what? Begged me. 
Have mercy, have mercy, you beg me. Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. God is a God of justice and he always mets out that which is right and true. This man simply showed what was in his heart. He was prideful and he was unrepentant. That's the reality. He didn't have the heart of the master at all. And Jesus made it clear, if you don't forgive others, the father will not forgive your offenses. Let that sit. If you do not forgive others, the father will not forgive your offenses. That is a hard scripture. Are you holding on to unforgiveness to somebody in this room? What about somebody at the old church you used to go to? What about somebody? What about an old pastor? What about this one? What about that one? What about whoever? Are you harboring unforgiveness and you've locked yourself in a prison? And Jesus says, if you don't forgive, the father will not forgive you. This is not optional. Forgiveness is a command for the Christian and a Christian that withholds forgiveness is not exemplifying the heart of Christ. There's a song I love when I first came to faith in Christ. And part of the song says, mercy and grace are mine. Forgiven is my sin. Jesus, my only hope, the savior of the world. And he goes on to say that I've been forgiven so that I can forgive. Some of us are so self-righteous that we believe we made it and arrived so we don't extend Christ to anyone. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you workers of the law. You put more weight on other people but won't even care at yourself. No self-righteousness has to die at the foot of the cross because we need God's mercy as well. And so Jesus answers Peter's question. How much should we forgive our brother who sins against us? He answers it for him. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. We reveal the true condition of our hearts by the way we treat others. When our hearts are humble and repentant, we will gladly forgive our brothers. But where there's pride and a desire for revenge, there can be no true repentance. And that means God cannot forgive. Warren Wiersbe said that. And you don't just leave a church and you hurt because of one person and say, man, I hope that church failed. Somebody hurt you. And it could have been immaturity on your part. It could have been immaturity on their part. You know the person who gets hurt a lot too that nobody talks about? The pastor. The pastor's supposed to be a superhero. The elders and the leaders are supposed to be, you know, you know, hey, look, you just got to deal with it. Really? The pastor doesn't bring up, doesn't supposed to bring up false, doesn't supposed to bring up anything like that. Everybody just dump everything on the pastor. I'm not lamenting here. I'm just telling you the reality of it. 
If we're constantly shooting each other down in here, how will the world ever know who we really are as Christ followers? The question as we close. First, is forgiveness in your top list of things that you haven't done or you just find hard to do? I want to challenge you to do something. If you have a person in this room that you're not right with and you need to get right with, make it right today. Make it right today. Don't leave without making it right. In fact, the Bible says even before you give, you need to make it right. Jesus said before you even pray, you might as well make it right, then pray. Faith and trust in Christ is about your life being transformed into his image and his likeness. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus and we have some folks getting baptized right after service, they're going to start walking this journey of following Jesus. This is a call to all of us. What unforgiveness are you holding on to? Who are you holding on to? Who have you held on to? And what prison are you locked in that you need to be set free from that Christ says there's freedom there? But here's the second part of that coin. Are you in this room and you've not yet experienced the extravagant, merciful, gracious forgiveness of the God of the universe? Who says this? I know everything about you. We, we kind of jump over that. Think about it. God knows everything about you, even the secret things. The stuff you tell nobody else about, the sin you've committed that nobody knows about, the intents of your heart, and yet the Bible says he still loves you. And he says, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. If you come to me, I'll forgive your sin. Do you need to extend forgiveness to someone today and exemplify Christ? Maybe you need to respond to this by asking the Lord to forgive you for not forgiving. Or maybe you need forgiveness from God. It's not about what you can do and how you can earn and what you can earn because salvation can't be earned. You can't work for it. It is a grace given free gift from God that he took the wrath for you. And he says, now you can be forgiven. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? It's hard to forgive folks who hurt you. Jesus doesn't promote any type of abuse. He protects us from that. But I know the reality is some of us have been hurt by the church, by people in the church. Many of you in here, maybe that's your story. And could it be that you've locked yourself in prison and now you're bound and you need to be free. Forgive. Maybe it's somebody you need to text and say, man, you know what? I forgive you. Bless you. But not that bless you like, hey, I'm done with you, but bless you. I'm going to pray for those who despitefully misuse me. I'm going to pray for God to have mercy on them because I've been set free. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who need to be forgiven of not forgiving. Help us, Lord, when people harm us and hurt us to extend the gracious mercy of God. To those who need to respond by coming to Christ and repenting of their sin. 
that, Lord, they would come. God, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. It's in Christ's name. Amen.